You're listening to a sermon from Mission City Fellowship of San Antonio, Texas. Mission City Fellowship exists to make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ who live all of life for the glory of God and proclaim Christ for the joy of all people. Lord, thank you for the gathering of your church, Lord. You are, from the, from the first day that you have called us to you in, in your saving grace, Lord, you have continued that work of drawing us as we gather together. Lord, we're not gathering to muster you up. Lord, you are gathering us, drawing us near to worship you, to know you as we open your word. So Lord, we pray then, would you teach us? Would you grow us? Would you correct us, Lord? Would you compel us this morning in your word that you would be exalted and that your church would be whole and healthy for your glory? In Jesus' name we pray, and the church says, amen, amen. Follow along with me as I read chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, beginning in verse 12, but we will focus on verses 19 through 22 today. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. When you hear someone begin to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, maybe even just reading those verses kind of makes you kind of squirm maybe. But when when you hear someone begin to talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, how does that land upon you? How does that land upon you? Does it, does it kind of land in a way where there's a warm welcoming? Does it land in a way where it's cautiously received? Does it land in a way where there's fearful avoidance, maybe? Or maybe even passionate rejection? How does it land upon you? We can all fall in, in different places with how we think of and respond to the topic of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church, can't we? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. We know Christians who out of fearful avoidance, when searching for a church, they're not necessarily looking for just a faithful church, but when searching for a church, uh, specifically, we're looking for a church with minimal mention about the work of the Spirit, and definitely where there would be no place 
for anything remotely related to the Spirit that would make them feel uncomfortable. But here's my question. Is that right? Is it right for us to respond that way to the topic of the Spirit? Is that right for a Christian to respond that way? And I guess a better question would be, is that a biblical response? Is that a biblical way? Is that the way God actually wants us to respond to the person and work of the Spirit? I don't think so. I don't think so. I, I think the Word of God paints a different picture for us today. So, so I think, I think, before we kind of just deep dive into these passages, and this was, this, this was so hard for me. I had, you know, page after page after page that I, I just had to just condense down. Um, so just, just know that, that we can't possibly talk about every little thing and every argument and all in, that involves this. But we have, we believe books that are a statement of faith that has, is extensive with what we believe. You cannot just only find that in written form, because I realized this morning we don't have any more, so we need to get some more here. But you can find all of that on our website, our church website. Uh, so it is completely open and available to you if you need to learn more about that, or you have a pastoral team who is completely open and available to you to talk through all of this, okay? So we're going to do kind of a flyover today, but I think it would be important for us, before we just kind of dive into these particular verses, to begin with the person and work of the Spirit. So essentially, that's kind of our first point, the person and work of the Spirit. So first, the person of the Spirit. I think the person of the Spirit is often treated like some kind of lesser part of God, like some kind of weird force, kind of like if we have Star Wars fans in here, you know, they're thinking like the force be with you, you know. Um, growing up, you know, there was, uh, when I was little, you know, you'd say like peace be with you, like in the church, like the force be with you. We think of it almost as this kind of weird force almost. Um, we can somewhat grasp the descriptions of the Father and the Son, those are kind of relatable to us. We can, we can somewhat begin to understand that, but the description of the Spirit, that just seems odd, doesn't it? That can seem odd and kind of be hard to compute and understand for us, but the Spirit deserves our understanding. The Spirit deserves our understanding. The, the Spirit in the Old Testament is called the Ruach. In the New Testament called pneuma, and so there are just differences there of languages. But those words do, they do describe the Spirit as this breath of life, this breath of life or power. But the Spirit is not just a power from God. The Scripture shows us that the Spirit is actually more than that. The Spirit is more than just a power of God. The Spirit is God. The Spirit is God. The third person of the triune God of the cosmos. So you have one God, yet three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, together eternally existing, and the Spirit existing as the third person of the Trinity, who is in perfect 
fellowship with the Father and the Son and equal in nature and deity. And that means the Spirit shares in God's divine attributes. So already, I just want us to begin to see that, the, the person and work of the Spirit. And we can say that in our verbiage, like, yeah, the person and work of the Spirit, but then we don't live like that. We think, we, we kind of just don't know what to think of the Spirit. So let's look at this. I want to show us, it'll be up on the screen here, how the Spirit shares in God's divine attributes. So the Spirit shares in God's omnipotence which is to have complete and total power to do anything in order to accomplish his plans and purposes. So Romans 5:19, by the power of signs and wonders, how is that? By the power of the spirit of God, so that I have fulfilled the ministry of God, Paul is saying. The spirit shares in God's omnipresence which is to have no limits or where he can be at at one time. Psalm 139, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed and shield, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. The Spirit shares in God's omniscience, which is to know all things to the greatest depths and to the uttermost. So he knows himself. We don't know. We're constantly learning new things about ourselves, right? You would think we would know ourselves perfectly. We don't. We're learning things about ourselves. We're learning things about creation. God is not that way. He knows all of himself to the uttermost, and he knows his creation to the uttermost. And the Spirit shares in that. So 1 Corinthians 2 For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. The Spirit is identified and given honor with the Father and the Son. Well, I'll just read this. Matthew 28. Go, go therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am sure you know, maybe there were other verses that came to mind as I quoted these. You know my tendency it was so hard to not throw in 30 verses in here. <laughs> that is such my tendency. So if you have more to add to that, slip that in your notes and just add to that. But, but I, I could have just kept going with more attributes after more attributes, but, I, but I, I, I can't. But I do want to do one more. One more, because I want us to just begin to grasp that the Spirit is not just a power. Yes, the power of God, the breath of life, but more than that, the person of God, a person of God, with affections. With affections. Look at this. The Spirit shares in God's affections, which is His love for us to walk in His Word and way. And when we don't, when we don't, the person of the Spirit is grieved. It's grieved. If you remember when God looked upon creation, the times of Noah, and it was the grieving over the sin of man. If you remember, see, here we go. I want to grab verses. If you remember how it talks about how God doesn't delight in the punishment of the wicked, 
Okay, so look at this, Ephesians 4, verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the person of the Spirit, and that is a super fast just flyover, and now the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit. The Spirit is working to display and manifest God's active presence and purposes in the world. That word manifest is appropriate when used alongside the the Spirit of God. That's what makes it so wicked in modern day time when we're saying that we can manifest things. Not good. Not good. I could go totally sidetracked right now and just following that trail. Not good. The Spirit of God is working to display and manifest God's active presence and purposes in the world. So the Spirit was with God in the beginning, accomplishing the will of the Father and the Son to create and to enliven, to breathe life into creation. And though it now it be a fallen and broken world, even today, the Spirit is still creating, sustaining, enlivening all of creation. Do you, are, do you think about that? Yesterday, I took a break from the sermon, and I just go and look out the window, and I was singing the doxology, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And I'm looking out the window and I'm seeing birds and trees and the sky and the grass. And I'm just thinking, wow, and all these people who are in their homes. And and I'm thinking, wow, Lord, you are today, you are still enlivening creation. Today. You didn't stop that. You're not the clockmaker who did did that at the very beginning and then left it alone and it just kind of is doing its own thing. No, he is today sovereignly purposing and working his will to enliven creation and sustain it. Sometimes we don't think about that. We're not aware of that. That is incredible and purposeful of God and kind of God. It's a kind thing because if if God is breathing this life, enlivening people and what's so sad about it is you have creatures today being enlivened by God who are actively then turning and rejecting that God. So it makes it so horrendous, precious saints. But look how it displays the kind mercy of God, breathing his life, pneuma, into creation. Even those who are cursing him, who are, at, who are waking up this morning after a long night of sin and waking up to get their breakfast, their little bowl of cereal, the God of the universe enlivening them so patiently, long-suffering with them. Oh my. Oh my. The Spirit is actively sustaining and enlivening Life. So the Spirit is, is working to breathe life into creation, but also, also to breathe new life of re- regeneration and transformation into people. As God creates a new creation out of His creation, a people for Himself to be His and to love Him and to live for Him and to exalt Him, what the Bible calls in John 3, being born again, enlivened by God and being born again of the Spirit, where He takes a person who is living and breathing physically, but yet spiritually they're dead, and He breathes new life into them, gifting them with faith, opening blind 
spiritual eyes, imparting a new spiritual heart that lives and beats with affection for Christ. And, and he begins to renew their mind that was so darkened and hardened to him and unknowing of him. And he begins to renew their mind so that they now see that they are a sinner and they comprehend the wickedness of their sin and realize the punishment they deserve for that sin. And the Spirit then takes their eyes off of themselves and an awareness of their sin and points their eyes to Jesus and His incredible, beautiful, magnificent, saving work found in His obedient life, His sacrificial death, and His victorious resurrection. And they, by the new life of the Spirit, believe, and He brings them into a living union and relationship with the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't stop there. That's a lot, isn't it? That's a lot of work that the Spirit is doing, but the Spirit doesn't stop there. The Spirit continues to work in God's people. He doesn't save us and then leave us. He loves His people and He cares for His people and so He gives His Spirit to remain at his glorious ascension, to remain and continue to enliven and empower his people, not so that they can be brought to Christ and then go back into a life of sin, ruled and reigning and, you know, by sin. He remains with God's people to help them, to help them live in and for Christ. The Spirit glorifies Christ and bears witness about him, so he's regularly pointing our eyes to the person of Christ and to the finished work of Christ and what that means for us today. He's empowering us to live and serve, instructing us by illuminating God's word to us as we hear it. He's assuring our hearts that are weak and frail, assuring them of God's love for us, comforting us with his presence, helping us to pray sustaining us in faith and transforming us as he is working to sanctify us in conformity to the image of Christ. My, oh my, that's a lot, isn't it? That is a lot. You can imagine how hard it was to say, okay, how do we sum this work up? Oh my, that is just so hard. So in all of that, as the Spirit is actively working to build the people of Christ. He is then actively working to build the church of Christ. Building the church. And one way the Spirit is doing that work is by giving gifts to each and every Christian for the functional good and health and maturing of the church. And as a witness to the world of the reality that the God we talk about and sing to is a living God, and his power is working in and through and among his people. So the gifts of the Spirit are given to the church for the good of the church and witness through the church until Christ returns for the church. Okay? The gifts of the Spirit are given to the church for the good of the church and witness through the church until Christ returns for the church. 
1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11. This will be up on the screen here. Listen to what the Word of God says here. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by one Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. All of that is good. He says for the common good of the church, right? All of that is good. And, and so God is working good. We know that. Psalm 119 says God is good and is doing good. So we know he's always doing good here. He's purposing good. And so the Spirit's work, which is God's work, we can say, is a good work. It is a good work. We may not fully grasp it. I may have seen things that kind of made me bitter. I may, it may make me uncomfortable. Whatever it is, whatever it is, you're joining in with generations of God's people who stood at Mount Sinai and said, whoa, this makes me uncomfortable. You're, there's nothing new about how you feel. We're joining in with generations of God's people who say, whoa, this is, there's difference here, something different. So Paul then says, now let's go to chapter 5, verse 19, his first command of this passage, do not quench the Spirit. So we saw the person and work of the Spirit, we, we determined it is good, and now he says, do not quench the Spirit, similar to the language of Ephesians 4.30, where he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Or in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, where Stephen identifies, remember Stephen was the first martyr, and he identifies those standing in front of him, and he says that they are resisting the Holy Spirit. So the command of Scripture here for the church in Thessalonica, and as we join in and as we have said with every other passage that this is for us, today, what does that passage say to us? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not extinguish the work of the Spirit. That, that life of God that is as a flame, little flickering flame burning within you, don't suffocate it. Don't douse it. We, we love whenever it gets colder outside, we love to set up a fire pit and sit around the fire pit and talk. It is just such an enjoyable thing to us. And at night, so you're, when you're done, there have been these times where the flame is still going strong, but we're, we're ready to go inside. And so before we head inside, I'll grab just some water, a bucket of water or something, a cup of water, and I'll go up to the fire and I'll just throw the water on top of the fire. And what happens? It douses the fire, right? Yes, it douses the fire. You can tell 
that what was there is still kind of there. There are evidences that there was a flame there. There's little evidences, little flickers, little, little life there, but it's not fanning into flame. It's not this full engulfing fire that it was, right? It's not fully producing the flame that it otherwise could, but I doused it, put the fire, I quenched the fire. Paul, it's interesting, Paul carries that illustration over to talking about our life being lived out in the Spirit. Verse 19, do not quench the Spirit. And then the following verses, verses 20 through 22, are showing us two specific ways that we are to avoid, or the church in Thessalonica for us today, that we are to avoid quenching the Spirit. Verses 20 through 21, do not despise prophecies. And then the last, verse 22, abstain from every form of evil. I think those flow out of that one command, do not quench the Spirit. So let's, let's look at this. Do not quench the Spirit by despising the work of the Spirit. Point three, verses 20 through 21, Paul says, Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. There must have been something going on in the Thessalonian church where there was a temptation for some to despise the work of the Spirit, specifically to despise the area of prophecy. If you're despising something, you detest it. You are not eager to hear about it. You are not enjoying it. You dislike it. It irks you. You see it as a hindrance. You are not seeing it as good. But Paul says... Do not despise prophecy. Now there is, as I am sure you are aware, there is a lot of debate about prophecy. Lots of debate about this whole topic, the work of the Spirit and prophecy. Again, I can't go cover everything, but I'm going to fly over this, okay? Fly over this the best I can. Present day, present day, some believe the gift of prophecy has ceased completely and doesn't exist anymore. They would say that the more supernatural gifts or the miraculous gifts, like prophecy, have ceased in the regular life of the church when the apostles died. They would see prophecy throughout the whole scripture as the same, the same. So the apostles died, they were the ones who were writing scripture, and so now because the apostles have died, scripture is closed, so any form of prophecy is going to be trying to add to that scripture, so, so they would be called cessationists. The gifts, that, those particular gifts have ceased in the regular life of the church. On the other side, you have continuationists, where they believe the gifts are still continuing on and are needed in the regular life of the church until Christ returns. We live in a broken world, and all things are not made new yet, so we need the full function of the Spirit to help us. But even in that camp, in the continuationist camp, you have sort of this far side that you've heard before, we've said, is kind of identified as ultra-charismatics. And that's mainly what you see on TV, I think. That's kind of what you'll see. People falling down, there's all kinds of craziness, everyone is speaking in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, you're not a true believer. We would say that's ultra-charismatic. And what has happened in the church is you almost have two camps. You have the Bible group, the Bible camp, 
and you have the gift group. So the Bible people and the gift people. That's kind of how it's almost happened within our society and with the church community. You have, you have Bible people and gift people, and they seem to be just at odds together. And it seems like you're either far on one side or you're far on the other side. And it feels like, isn't there, there's got to be an in-between. Is there anything in between? Because I don't, I, don't think you, I don't think some of this stuff that these other people think on this far side, I definitely don't think this stuff on this side. Is there an in-between? Well, precious saints, there is. There really is an in-between. There is. And I would say that would be what we're seeking to be, an in-between. A church community who loves the Word, who wants to faithfully exegete the Word, who wants to dig into the Word and hear what the Word says. We want to do faithful exegesis. So really quick, exegesis is whenever we, we, we look at the Word and we allow the Word to speak and we allow our, our worldview lenses and what we believe to be informed by that Word. Eisegesis is when I have all that I believe, everything I understand, my experiences, my bad experiences, all of it right here in front of me. And now I open the Word and I translate everything to fit my experience, to fit what I already think about something. And so I'll take out words or I'll twist words. That's dangerous. We would all say that. That's dangerous. You don't want to do that. But for whatever reason, when it comes to the gifts of the Spirit, we tend to do that. We're driven by our, and motivated by what we've experienced, both for the positive or the negative side. It's all experiential driven. So what we aim to do is say, we want the Word to speak. God has given it to instruct us, to lead us. Let's hear it and let's allow the Word to inform how I feel, what I think. Because sometimes what we feel, right? We're told in Jeremiah, our hearts are deceitful. Sometimes we can't trust what we feel. So what do we know? What do we know here? That's the aim of our church. And that's the aim of our family of churches. I would say we're kind of like the people who don't fit in. <laughs> it's like we're not, like because of where we are, we were kind of, we're in the middle. It's almost like, well, you're not bible enough, you know, <laughs> to be over here and you're not charismatic enough to be over here. But we really are both. We really are both. We, we, we see that in the Scripture, and we want to be faithful to the Scripture. So then, so then, let's, let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this. Prophecy. Prophecy. Prophecy is the human telling of something God has spontaneously revealed or brought to mind. Prophecy is the human telling of something God has spontaneously revealed or brought to mind. Prophecy is talked about all throughout the Scripture, all throughout the Bible. Scripture itself is birthed through prophecy, through the prophetic. Now, let's distinguish something here, okay? The, the writers of Scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, were functioning in the prophetic. They were functioning in prophecy. Yet, it was a unique and greater prophetic since God gave them new revelation about himself, didn't he? New revelation about himself and his saving purposes and his plans for humanity in such a way that is unique and done. Unique and done. There is no more needed revelation of God himself or his saving purposes 
that have been solidified in the person and work of Christ that need to be added to Scripture. There will be no more, thus saith the Lord commands, upon God's people or new revelation of the character of God. But, but, there were people throughout the Old Testament and New Testament that had what was identified as prophetic gifts that were given by God, that were serving the people of God, and they were not writing Scripture. It was so hard for me to not go right now and just list all of those places in the Word. They were not writing Scripture. We don't have what they recorded what they said. So you seem to have in the Scripture big P prophecy, the writers of Scripture, new revelation of God, new understanding of the salvific purposes of God, purposes and plans for all of humanity, big P prophecy. And then you have little P prophecy. So for those in this little P category, and I know, brothers and sisters, I'm not, I'm, I'm not the most creative. I'm not the most well-spoken. So this is my attempt to say it in a way that hopefully makes sense and helps you understand. Okay, um, Little P category of prophecy, the Spirit was functioning in and through them, still in a prophetic way, but, but just different, different. Instead of revealing new, grand revelation of who God is and his saving purposes and his plans for humanity, which is the big P prophecy, instead, it was in a more local, small P prophetic way. So here's kind of what we see, that the Spirit is working in the lives of believers to reveal the hidden heart sins and struggles, and sorrows, and cares. And instead of revealing something new about God, the Spirit, through these little p prophetic gifts, the Spirit calls to mind who God is. What's already been revealed about God. Who God is and what He has done, and applies that to the believer and their circumstance. And they are reminded that their God is a living God, who is a personal God who knows them and who is with them, that he's not just some name we read or some name we sing about, that he is real and a living God and with them and cares for them. And so through the gift of prophecy, they are built up in the faith or encouraged or comforted. And if there is an unbeliever, If there is an unbeliever and the Spirit reveals the hidden secrets of their heart and life through a prophetic word, they are called to account. By God's grace, they are convicted and they are led to know the reality of the living God of the cosmos and led to worship Him. That's what Paul describes of the little p, gift of prophecy, in 1 Corinthians. Listen to this. This will be up on the screen here throughout uh, 1 Corinthians 14. He says, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. The one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. But if all prophesy 
and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. So if this gift is so good for the church, why are some so tempted to despise it? Well, I think there's several reasons. I think there's several reasons. I think in the scripture we hear about false prophets, people who are leading other people astray, who are claiming to be both big P prophets and little P prophets, claiming there's some unique power or mantle upon them, or even claiming at times to be Christ himself. So there's, we see falsehood. We see things called prophecy that are just flat out unbiblical and wrong along with other gifts operated. On top of that, even, even people with good intentions, but yet who are still human people and so are imperfect people, they may have something truly spontaneously revealed and brought to mind by God, but when they go to tell it, their humanness can get in the way or take away from or even make assumptions about what is to be said. And so it comes out in a broken, fallen way. Now, there's examples of that in Scripture. So Acts, Acts 21, Acts 21, Agabus. Agabus, who's mentioned two times, bringing prophetic words to people. He goes and he, he meets the disciples before Paul's supposed to go to Jerusalem, and he shares a word with the disciples, specifically for Paul. And it's this word where he says, you're going to be bound up, your hands and feet will be bound up, and in, in Jerusalem, and the Jews are going to give you over to the Gentiles. And do you remember how they respond? Everyone says, Paul, that means you're not supposed to go. But Paul says, no. That actually confirms what Christ had already told me, that I would be suffering for his namesake, and so it actually means I am supposed to go. Even in the scripture, you're seeing people in their own humanness receive a word from God and yet misapply it. So we see that. We see that. And so I think if we've ever seen it done poorly or in such a way that it was abused or just flat out unbiblical or wrong, something that's trying to say it's that, but it's not really that, because of our own humanness, we are human people, we can begin to say, I don't want that. That there, not good. I don't want any part of that. I, I was talking to a Baptist pastor friend of mine. Love him. I have preached at his church uh, in the past. He's preached, uh, not here, but previous church. Just a great friend of mine. Uh, 
And we're talking one day after lunch when we got some tacos, and you know I love tacos. And so we got tacos, and we're going, and we're driving, and we're just talking about the Word, and we're talking about the church. And he is such a faithful pastor. He loves the Word. So that's something we can connect in. We just love the Word together, and we love to feed the flock. We love the people of Christ, and we love to serve Christ. And so we just get to talk about those things. And as we're talking about that, I just had to ask, like, about the gifts. You know, what, are you, what are your thoughts there? I know, you know, you... you you lean towards, I don't want any of that. Why? And it wasn't that this is a brother who loves the word, who exegetes the word. Who's, his, his, his response wasn't that, well, this verse clearly says. There wasn't that. And I've heard a lot of arguments in that way. And I will say, often there's eisegesis involved in that. This brother who I love said, you know, I just, I just never have seen it done well. And that was it. His view of how he would interpret the word and feed the flock was not based upon what the word says. Who cares if people screw it up? We mess up preaching all the time. (laughs) Preaching is the most abused gift in the church, isn't it? I just saw a clip of a pastor on the news. They made national news who stood before his congregation and chewed them out for not buying him a new watch, a fancy watch. And he's bringing it like it's authoritative and powerful and all this, and it's it's junk. But we don't throw out preaching. We say, that's not good. Be corrected or stop doing that. You don't don't get to do that anymore because it's completely wayward. But it doesn't end preaching for us. Preaching is the most abused gift in the church, but we keep desiring good preaching. I think that's why in 1 Corinthians, so we're kind of tying in 1 Corinthians with Thessalonica, if you've ever read that letter, you know the church was a mess, don't you? The church had a lot of struggle. They had a lot of gifts, lots of gifts, but began to give into sin, allowing sin into the church, lacking love for one another. It was a mess of a church, but yet What did Paul tell them? Paul doesn't tell them, you know what, guys, let's just give up. Let's just stop. No, he corrects them, instructs them, and tells them, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Keep going. Corrects them and instructs them. And that's what I think. I think we're afraid of correction. I think we're afraid of instruction. I think pastors, I, we can wrestle with giving it. It's confrontational. It's say, oh, you didn't do that. That wasn't really well done. That's hard. But we can't run away from growing with one another because we're afraid of that. Oh my, man, I could just keep going here. So instead, Paul tells them in 1 Corinthians, weigh it. Weigh what is said. Weigh it. That's what he does in Thessalonica. He says, do not despise prophecy, but instead test what is shared and hold fast to what is good. Test what is shared, hold fast to what is good. They, they test what is shared by holding it up against Scripture and the authority and soundness of Scripture. They hold it up against what God has said. And if what is shared is opposite of the character and the word and the way of God's revealed word, then that is not good. 
if it's opposite of what God has firmly revealed to us, then we are to not receive that. But if it aligns, if it's not opposite, if in fact we can see, yeah, God's character is that way, or God would say something like that from his word, he would affirm the church in that way, then it's good. And the word says it's to be received. It's to be held on to. It's to be kept. Not rejected. Listened to and held. Church, I hope you've been here long enough, or for those of you who have been here, I know we have some visitors. Um, you came on a, new, a unique Sunday, but I'm trusting the Lord in His sovereign grace and providence as He works among us. But church, if you've been here, I think you've seen we desire to be faithful. There have been times when something has been shared, whether it's been in our prayer time or it's been more one-on-one or it has been here on a Sunday morning in our worship time where maybe we pause for a second and something is shared and then we go back into singing. We want to walk in this faithfully. And there's a way, often you see it done and it's just a big commotion and it's a big, thus saith the Lord and this and, and that and it's just all about the person. But when you see it done well, there's something beautiful about it. There's a humility. There is an exaltation of God that happens, that it goes beyond the exaltation of the person. That's good. So we, see to, we have sought to walk in this. One of the ways we do that is before a word or something is shared, we seek to weigh it, especially before it ever comes before the congregation, where we've instructed before, where you come to a pastor and you share, maybe people have shared, maybe it's a picture that you, as you're praying, you just kind of saw a picture. Maybe that's connected with a scripture. Um, or maybe it's just a scripture. But you've come and you've brought that and said, I just had this impression just as I was praying. I saw this picture of this. And I just wondered if the Lord's wanting to care for somebody in light of that. Or had this passage come to mind? This morning in our prayer time, we had two passages shared. The Lord is working in us. We're not just conjuring things up because we're smart. And like, I think of that passage, you know. No, the Lord wants to care for his church. So he's calling to mind even his own word to be shared with the church. So there's a beauty behind it and a simplicity that we don't always see on the far ultra-charismatic side that can be good. Um, So it's shared before a pastor and it's weighed. And the pastor, as best we can, seeks to say, okay, that, that would be fitting to share. Or... Let's not share that right now. Maybe that's, that might be for one person. Um, or, yeah, let's not share that. I've had to share that with someone before. Like, you know what, that's probably, that's probably, I'm thinking of this passage, and that doesn't quite align, I think. And so we're not going to share that. And I encourage the person, said, hey, you know, thank you for wanting to walk in faith. Thank you for trusting the Lord, being humble to submit that before the Lord. And we're growing in that. We're human people. We miss things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see through a mirror dimly. So it's this imperfect working out with life through one another. But it takes patience and kindness and humility towards one another and trusting the Lord. Okay, last, last. Paul closes with this command, abstain from every form of evil. Verse 22. So, don't quench the Spirit. How? Don't despise prophecies. Don't, don't, don't despise the work of the Spirit. And don't abstain 
or abstain from every form of evil. Essentially, do not quench the Spirit by living opposite of the Spirit. We, we cannot, precious saints, I know it's change gears for a second here. We cannot walk by the Spirit if we are holding on to the fruit of the flesh. We cannot. We cannot please God and love the world in this way that as it's ruling our hearts and yet act like, we're, okay, I'm just going to love God. No, the, the word clearly says, Jesus says that you cannot serve two masters. You're ruled by one of them, and your heart is going to go after them. You treasure them wherever your heart is. And so we, we cannot walk by the Spirit if we're holding on to the fruit of the flesh. In our day, precious saints, in our day, there are churches that love the gifts. Love the gifts. That's kind of all they're about. Gifts. And we're going to just have sermon series over and over again about the gifts. That, like, that is it. Yet, there's little to no talk about faithful living. There's little to no talk about fleeing sin and growing in His Word and ultimately loving Christ most of all. Oh my, that's what we see in today's day and age. That's what we see down the street from us over and over and over again. So sin, what is happening? Sin is creeping in like it was in the church at Corinth. Sin is creeping in, and so the testimony of Christ is being tarnished. And churches are unhealthy and unfaithful, and people's lives aren't really being changed. They, they're, they're, they're talking like there's change. We're posting on social media like there's change. But the reality is it's no change. People still living in sin, proud. And why? Because either we're despising the gifts or we go on the far other side and we're, at, we're, we're actively giving in to sin. We disobey the simple commands of God. Like who can be an elder and a pastor in a church? But yeah, we want the gifts. But we're going to disobey the simple, very clear commands of God. We're actively giving into sin. And so what happens? There's no true transformation. The, the church being a city on a hill a light in the darkness, truly loving one another that goes beyond the fluff and vibrancy of, of clapping on a Sunday morning. I hope we clap. I love to clap. But it goes beyond that. Transformation within the church goes into our homes and among one another as we're talking to one another and caring for each other, helping one another through anxiety and depression and anger and pride and lust and all that, living life together, helping one another flee from sin. And where, what do you see there? What do you see there? You start seeing the real transformation, the real work of the Spirit. Oh, my. Oh, my precious saints. Church, may we not be a church quenching the Spirit. Whether by despising the gifts the good that God has prepared for us, the Lord Jesus who so cares for his church, who says, I want you to know I'm more than just a name and a Bible story. I want you to know my true love and that I care for you and I know you. I'm not just some face that you put on the wall. I want you to know I'm living, breathing. So he gives his gifts both the 
small, you know, this, this, or natural, I would say, like administration and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And even those that more supernaturally revealed, well, God is among you. And then on this far other side, church, may we not be a church quenching the spirit by saying, we're okay with sin. That doesn't mean we go blasting each other. We heard just a couple weeks ago, we are to patiently come alongside one another and warn one another when we see sin in one another's lives. But we are to actively be living life like that with one another. Because if we're actively giving into sin, it's dousing the flame of the Spirit. I don't know if you've ever felt that. Have you ever felt that? Like you're, 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 you're like, I'm going to serve. I mean, I'm a pastor, so I like teaching or preaching or something. And, and man, you were impatient. I shared this with you, church, a couple weeks ago. Like, you're impatient with one of your kids, and it just weighs upon your heart. But I, I, not just impatient. Like, I was sinfully impatient. It weighs upon us. And in one way, it's a good thing. Now, if it lingers, it means we, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. There's forgiveness. We can move on. But the Spirit is working to convict us of sin. But if we continue to live in unrepentant sin, there will be a quenching of the Spirit. There will be. There won't be true life happening within the life of the church and within you personally. So church, may we be a church that is actively wanting to say, Lord, may you kindle. Right? That's the opposite, right? Lord Jesus, may you kindle the work of the Spirit among us. May you kindle true life within you that reveals itself in our marriages and our parenting and our life together and our friendships and even reveals itself in the active gifts of the Spirit. Lord, may you kindle your work so that Christ is exalted and glorified, that your church is built and that your church is a witness to the watching world. The watching world is broken, fractured, And they need to see that God is truly among us. Church, may the Lord do this work among us. And here's my encouragement. I am seeing the Lord do this work among us. He is actively working among us. And that is out of his own goodness. And may the Lord continue to sustain and make us faithful and keep us faithful to his word as we seek to serve him in a fallen and broken world. Amen? Let's pray.